Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day we commemorate the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry happened in Matthew 21. And in Matthew 21, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, which is a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he says to two of his disciples, go on up the hill a little bit and you'll find a donkey tied to a pole in front of somebody's house. Untie it and bring it to me. And they're like, Lord, you can get shot taking somebody's donkey up in these parts. And the Lord says, don't even trip. I got it covered. If anybody says, what are you doing? Just look at him and say, the Lord has need of it. and He'll let you go. You know how much trust you got to have in Jesus to steal somebody's donkey because he told you to? That's faith. So the two disciples, they go up the hill. They see the donkey tied to the post. They just start untying it. The Lord told us to steal this guy's donkey. The guy comes out of the, hey, what you doing with my donkey? Oh, the Lord said he has need of it. Oh, all right, go ahead. They were like, that actually worked. I got to try that more often. <laughs> they bring the donkey back to Jesus. He gets on the donkey. The disciples still don't know what's going on. It's interesting that Jesus often gave commands and instructions to his disciples without giving them information. He would give instructions without explanations. And Jesus gets on the donkey and they're like, what are we doing? He's like, just lead the way. Just lead me down the mountain. Why? What are we doing? They're like, just don't worry. Just lead me down the mountain. And he gets on the, on the donkey and they start going towards Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the disciples get it. Wait a minute. Which prophet was that? He said, um, rejoice, Jerusalem. For though you are the smallest among the, tri among the towns of Judah, uh, rejoice. No, not Jerusalem. Uh, Bethlehem. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he's going to come riding on the foal of a donkey. Holy crap. This is it. Like, oh, wait a minute. The disciples have been waiting for this moment for three years. Why did they follow him? They believed him to be the Messiah, and, the, and they believed the Messiah to be the king of Israel, and they believed that the king of Israel was going to overthrow the Romans, and they believed the disciples of the king of Israel was going to sit on 12 thrones around the king of Israel. He's finally doing it. He's finally doing the thing that we wanted him to do when we decided to follow him. You see, we didn't just follow him for no reason. We had expectations. We had desires. We had an agenda. We've been waiting for him to finally do the thing that we wanted him to do when we decided to follow him. And now he's finally doing it. See, a lot of people believe in Jesus because they heard that he heals the sick. And so maybe if I follow him, he'll heal my sickness. But you followed him for years and you're still sick. Maybe you followed him because... You thought he would make somebody fall in love with you if they found out that you love Jesus. You saw the one that you fell in love with as a Christian. And so you decided to be a Christian to try to win the heart of the one that you love. But she still don't like you. Because you're still ugly.
You decided to follow him because you heard about financial blessing and you thought he was going to bless your finances and you were going to get a better job, but you've been following him for years and you're still broke. Know what I'm talking about? The disciples had been following him with this hope in their heart for three years and now finally he's on a donkey and we're heading towards Jerusalem. And the disciples just start exploding with praise and adoration. They start taking off their cloaks and laying them on the road. They're excited, not for Jesus, for themselves. Because I'm finally fit to get what I want. Praise the Lord. And then the revelation starts spreading. The closer he gets to Jerusalem, people in Jerusalem look up and see a donkey coming down the Mount of Olives. Because in the ancient world, when a king came towards your city, he either came riding on a donkey or on a white horse. If he came on a white horse, you locked up the gates of your city and called your army because he was coming to make war. But if he came on a donkey, you opened the gates of your city and received him because he was coming to make peace. When they saw him on a donkey, all of a sudden they identified him as the long-awaited king. And so they opened the gates of the city and they were like, this dude, of course, that's who he is. The guy who heals the sick, who raises the dead, who opens the eyes of the blind, who causes the lame to walk. The guy who meets funeral processions at the gate of the city and raises the child from the dead. The guy who can walk on water, who causes, who feeds the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Of course, that's who he is. In that moment, there was this mass revelation in the minds of the people that he's more than a healer. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a friend of sinners. He's more than a forgiver of sins. He is our long-awaited king, and Israel had been waiting for a king. Longing for the restoration of the kingdom of David. Longing for the son of David, God promised that David would never fail to have a son on the throne. But this was a time in Israel's history in which Israel did not have a son of David on the throne. And all of a sudden, the son of David, and they knew his lineage too, they knew that he was literally the son of David. He literally came out of the line of David. Both his mama and his daddy were of that line. Tribe of Judah. Of course that's who he is. That, ex, that, that revelation exploded into their consciousness, and it was a mass revelation that just spread throughout the city like a virus. It just went viral. And the people started shouting, Hosanna, and laying palm branches, that grab it, just climbing up into trees and and laying palm branches. Why are they laying palm branches? The palm branch was a signal of victory. It was a symbol of victory. They were waving palm branches and laying them on the road. What they were literally saying is, you did it. You win. Jesus wins. But what they really meant was, we win. Because he's finally going to do what we've been waiting for the son of David to do. And what were they waiting for the son of David to do? To cast out the Romans who were occupying. The Roman Empire had overtaken the world and overtaken Israel. And they, had, they were being occupied. There was this Roman occupation. The son of David's going to end all of that. 
and create a new occupation in which the children of Israel rule the world. The son of David is going to rule them with a rod of iron. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will break them to pieces like a potsherd, like a potter's vessel. He's going to do it, which means we win, and anyone will worship a God who gives you what you want. But something happens between Matthew 21 and Matthew 27. In Matthew 21, on Palm Sunday, he enters Jerusalem and they welcome him and they worship him and they cry out, Hosanna, which means save now. To the son of David, Baruch haba beshem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they shouted at him. But you get to Matthew chapter 27, which is six days later, five days later on Good Friday. And the same crowd is shouting out something different. Because Thursday night, he gets arrested. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. His tears, his sweat is like great drops of blood. He's in agony. They arrest him. They beat him all night long. And in the morning, they bring him out. And this is what Pontius Pilate says. He says, on this day every year, I release one prisoner to you. He wants to release Jesus because he knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's worried about having blood on his own hands. He doesn't want to be guilty of of an innocent man's blood. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll give them a choice. And the choice will set them up. They're going to have to release Jesus. This is how I will escape having to do the will of this multitude. Because they're crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. And he doesn't, Pontius Pilate doesn't even know why. So Pontius Pilate says, all right, I'll tell you what. On this day every year, I always release a prisoner to you. So I've got two prisoners. One of them is this guy named Barabbas. And the other one is Jesus. Which one do you want me to release? Let me tell you why. Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist. Barabbas tried to overthrow the Roman government by force, through violence. And he was not popular amongst the people of Israel because he got them in big trouble. He created trouble for them with Rome. So if they ask for Barabbas, what they're literally doing is making a statement that Caesar's going to hear about, that they're in league with this guy who wants to overthrow the Roman government. They can't ask for him. They cannot say that they're in agreement, because if they ask for him, they're saying they're in agreement with him. They can't say we want him. They've got to say, all right, release Jesus. We don't like him, but if we have to choose between Barabbas and Jesus, you've got to release Jesus. We, can't, we cannot agree with Barabbas. We just can't do it. But the hatred for Jesus was so deep at that moment that they asked for Barabbas. What happened between Matthew 21 and Matthew 27? What could possibly have happened to cause the script to be flipped with such ferocity? 
that one minute, the same people that are standing in church going, oh, hallelujah, Jesus, we worship you, are going, just kill him, away with him. We'll side with the murderer. Throw away Jesus. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. If you go back to Matthew 21 and you read through that whole triumphal entry scene, they're screaming, save now. Save now, which means in their, in their uh, vocabulary, raise up an army and overthrow the Romans right now. Reestablish the kingdom of your father David. And then fulfill the promises, all the eschatological promises of the Old Testament. Rule the world from the throne of David. It's time. And what does Jesus do instead? He gets to Jerusalem. They're crying out, save now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the, world, in the name of the Lord. We welcome you. Come on in. You're the rightful king. You're the rightful ruler. Save now. The problem is they had a very specific definition of save now. He accepts their invitation but applies it in an unexpected way. He goes into the temple, sits down, and makes a whip. Drives out the money changers. It is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You made it a den of thieves. He comes in and upsets their, he comes in and rebukes his own people. Never overthrows a Roman. See, when we come to Jesus, we tend to come because we've got all kinds of stuff in mind that we want Jesus to fix. I need you to fix that boss of mine who won't stop messing with me. That other employee at the company, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. I need you to fix my money problem. I need you to hook me up with a boo because I'm tired of clutching a pillow at night. Know what I'm saying? And instead, he starts messing with stuff in you and not for you. He starts overturning the money changer tables inside. You're messing with me? I had a friend, a pastor. He took a new pastorate at a new church, went through this long process with the elders. The membership even voted, the staff, the team, unanimous decision. His first day on staff, he sat down with the secretary, his personal secretary, and she said to him, we are so happy to have you as our pastor. We're so thankful that you would come and accept the invitation to be the pastor of this church. He said, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. She says, so let's go over your rules. He says, my what? She said, your rules. You'll be expected to arrive here at the office at 9 a.m. If you're late 15 minutes more than twice, you're going to be docked this amount of money. Your lunchtime will be from 12 to 12.45, and you can go home every day at 5 p.m., and he just listens to her go through this whole list of rules, and, and he smiles, and she gets done, and he says, thank you so much for that. Your services are no longer needed. And she says, what? He said, I said, your services are no longer needed. I'm letting you go. And she was shocked 
And she says, what do you mean? Why would you let me go? He says, you think you're my boss, not the other way around. She says, no, 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 no. I'm happy you're our pastor. I'm happy to have you as my boss. He says, well, then why are you giving me your rules? What do you think it means that I'm your boss? Well, it means you get to preach to us on Sunday morning. And he goes, no, it doesn't. It means I make the rules, not you. And he had to remove her from her responsibilities. A lot of us treat Jesus like this secretary treated my friend. Jesus, so happy to have you as my Lord and Savior. Now, here are my rules. Number one, here are the things that you never speak to in my life. Here are the subjects I need you to stay away from. Here's the stuff that I know you don't like, but I'm going to do it anyway. Deal with it. It's just how it is. And then here's a list of things I need you to fix pronto. And just know that my continued faith in you is dependent upon your willingness to honor this agenda. But I will go to church and let you speak to me on Sunday. That's what it means that you're my Lord. I just sit and listen to whatever comes to me on Sunday about you, but you don't get to say nothing to me throughout the week. During the week, I make the rules, but Sunday I sit and listen and pretend to be all submissive. Hosanna to the son of David, save now. Okay, fashions a whip and starts whipping, folks. Crucify him. The people wanted a revolutionary, not a disciplinarian. At least Barabbas is a revolutionary. At least he tried to do what we wanted. At least he tried to overthrow the Romans. What has this man done? Messed up the temple. Came into the church just breaking stuff. Get off that keyboard. <laughs> Over there on them drums in your heart ain't right. <laughs> oh, we don't want him as our pastor. His rule didn't last 45 minutes before they decided, yeah, we done made a mistake. Which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas or Jesus? Well, which one will do what we want them to do? See, when we said, Jesus, you're my Lord, we have a different definition of my than he does. Because when you listen to music, you go, that's my kind of music. That's my music right there. It means it's the music that you like. And we call him my Lord the same way we speak of my music. That's my Jesus, which means I fashioned him into the Jesus that I like. The Jesus who will do what I want. My Lord, let me tell you what it really means. It means he gets to define what it means to save. He reserves the right to define what it means to rule. 
And so now you get to choose, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Barabbas represents the love of power. Jesus represents the power of love. We are in a day and age in which the church is choosing Barabbas over Jesus. We want power, not love. We want violence, not sacrifice. We want to take it by force. Jesus is not revolutionary enough for me. Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. We want the love of power, not the power of love. They crucified the Lord of glory and they let a murderer go free. And Barabbas, did you hear about what he did after he got let go free? Exactly. Not much of a revolutionary at the end of the day, was he? What kind of a revolution did he bring? Nada. Give us the man of power, the man of violence, the man of war. And what happened to him when they released him? He disappeared into history. Jesus was crucified and became the Lord of history. The one they rejected because they thought he was weak actually turned out to have all power in heaven and on earth. The one they thought was soft, actually death couldn't even hold him in the ground. The difference between Barabbas and Jesus is that Barabbas is still in the ground and Jesus is on the throne. They rejected the the power of love and opted for the love of power not realizing that when they opted for the love of power, they actually neglected, rejected the true power, the real power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. That on the cross, he was enthroned there. At that moment, he became the Lord of history. At that moment, when he, re- he refused to rule by violence, he became Lord of all. The disciples had such a tough time relinquishing their agenda because they thought they knew what God should have done. Lord, you know, man, you're just not doing it, Lord. Judas especially so disappointed. I could have made him rich. I could have made him famous. I offered to manage his social media accounts. Can you imagine if Jesus made TikToks? They would have went viral in a second. They would have went bacterial. We'd still be watching his TikToks. 2,000 years old. Can you imagine if Jesus wrote a book? We wouldn't even be reading the Bible. No, I'm reading Jesus. Jesus wrote, it would be the bestseller of all. There would, nobody would ever write a book after that. He didn't fulfill his potential. He fulfilled the Father's purpose. And he became the Lord of history. 
we could only go back to Palm Sunday, the original Palm Sunday, if we could go back to Matthew 21 and add a second revelation to the, cl- to the crowd. First revelation. He's the son of David. He's the king, and he's coming to establish his reign. Let's receive him. Hosanna to the son of David. Let that same revelation just break out. But then add a second revelation to it. But it's best that we let him define what that, that means. See, when I receive Jesus as Lord, the first right I have to relinquish is the right to determine what that means. I lay aside my agenda. I lay aside my agenda because I trust that his agenda is better. And we don't naturally do that. Because I still think it would have been better had Milo not died yesterday, this last week. At that funeral, something in me was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. God, how could you let that happen? And I'm telling you that that question is real, and it's in my heart. God, how could you let that happen? It just feels so wrong. But I hold two truths in tension in my heart, one neither contradicting the other. He's Lord, and he knows all things, and I don't know what the heck he was thinking. But at the end of the day, I don't have to understand him to trust him. Any more than a child needs to understand what their mom and dad told them to do. I used to ask my mom all the time, but why? Because I said so. Because if you don't do it, see what's going to (laughs) happen. Test me in this. (laughs) See if I don't reach in your chest and pull them lungs right out. (laughs) Right? Sounds so violent, right? (laughs) Hmm. Looking back, now I get why my mom said no. That's called wisdom. And at the end of the age, when we're with him, we'll understand everything that we don't get right now. But to make my understanding the prerequisite to my believing is the greatest arrogance. To make my understanding the prerequisite to my believing is the greatest arrogance. Because God, it's like saying, God, you can't be God if I don't get it. Which sets me up as the paragon of intelligence and wisdom in the universe. God, there's a lot that I don't get. But one thing I know, you are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. And you choose the power of love. And so I choose the power of love. I relinquish my agenda. I'm taking back the list that I gave you. Give me your list. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.